If you don't know me, I'm Larry Jones. I'm the executive pastor here at church. And for the past few weeks, our lead pastor has not been here. He's actually on a little break with his family for the next few weeks, and they will be back in July. So if you're wondering where Mitchell is, he is still around, but they're just taking a little bit of uh, break and just getting uh, rest and vision uh, to can you continue forward um, with our church. Uh, and so if you think about him throughout the week or you're ever wondering where he is, just throw up a prayer for him and his family that they would receive all the rest uh, that they need from the past three years of pushing and planting uh, this church uh, and more vision to continue for the next three, five, ten, a hundred years, however long however long they want to lead this thing, and God continues to tell them to. So uh, let's just pray for them um, as you think about them. Uh, but so Mitchell's not here. Um, so I'm going to introduce our speaker now. I won't be speaking today, uh, but somebody that you know and love who's been uh, serving in this church for the last three years on staff, just transitioned off staff. But Jeremy B.R. is going to be sharing a word with us this morning. So let's give it up for Jeremy as he comes up. So like I said, he's been on staff and just transitioned off, and we're excited uh, to get to see how God's going to use him and the other uh, ventures that he's doing now, Um, but he's going to kick us off on a new series this morning that he will introduce and let us know about. Sweet. Thanks, Larry. Good morning, church. Glad y'all are here. If you're a baseball fan, congrats Razorbacks for winning yesterday. If they win today, they go to the College World Series, and we'll yet again be Omahogs. That means the final eight teams. It's a big deal. It's really Omaha, Nebraska is where it's played, but they call themselves the Omahogs. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. If we're lucky, they'll be able to meet Texas A&M in the finals. That would really just be great. That's my alma mater, and I will be rooting for A&M if they're in the finals. Just so y'all know, (laughs) figured I'd confess that. Okay, if I haven't met you, yeah, like I said, I'm Jeremy. I'm part of the family's life group here, and the month of June... For us, for the BR household, is all about family. We call it Family Celebration Month, actually. Uh, my younger son, Hudson, turns one tomorrow. It's pretty exciting. My older son, Beckham, turns three on the 22nd. And then uh, my anniversary, my, my marriage to Megan, turns seven on the 27th. It'll be our seven-year anniversary this month. And Megan's birthday is also this month, and Father's Day, so it's just a lot of of family. And one thing I'm learning about the family thing is it is an adventure. Guys, we just got back from a little vacation to Oklahoma City. We spent three and a half days there. We booked an Airbnb with two of our best couple friends from college, who are now two of our best family friends, because we have two kids apiece. And so six kids, another uh, uh, seventh in Madeline's belly. And we are just having a blast in Oklahoma City. And some things are just like old times, you know, just like we were back, you know, 23, fresh out of college, just having a ball. And, or maybe 22, I don't know what age we were. But we're still staying up past midnight every night. You know, that's all the same. The girls are talking about their hearts. They're encouraging each other. The guys are discouraging each other through trash talk and competitions. (laughs) And somehow we both leave feeling filled up and edified. The only thing that's different, or at least one of the things that's different, is your, your kids are still going to wake up in the morning. And so, great, went to bed at 2, and then sometimes your alarm clock that sounds like a screaming child goes off at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. Or in Everly's case, 
after two and a half days, the final morning, she just wakes up at 3.30 in the morning, just ready to go. I'm like, we didn't even change time zones, Everly. Like, how did you even do that? But, you know, they, they, they made it work. Hudson, the last morning, is just throwing up stuff. And we're like, well, we're going to skip on the last lunch together. We're just going to head home. He's throwing up again this morning. So we're just, Megan's home with him. Kirsten brought Beckham to church. So, you know, we're half in attendance this morning. But it is so funny, guys, vacationing with kids. Seriously. Like, the range of emotions is ridiculous. Because on the one hand, they're having so much fun. They're staying in the same house with some of their best friends. And you got cornhole and air hockey and basketball and pool and jump off the table onto the couch and trampoline and disc golf. Larry brought a disc golf basket so that we could have that. We have a pool. So they're just having a blast, and we're going throughout the town, going to parks and splash pads and all this stuff. On the other hand, they are so tired. They are so tired the whole time, and it shows in random swings of emotion that they just don't have the same ability to respond to situations with the same level of patience. And so it's funny. Like one morning, we're making breakfast. Beckham's like, what do we have? Say, hey, we have some oatmeal if you want that. At home, we sprinkle a little bit of... uh, Truvia brown sugar on top of his little oatmeal balls. And he's like, I want brown sugar with my oatmeal. It's like, well, Beckham, we actually don't have brown sugar here. He's like, we do have brown sugar. I'm like, no, Beckham, we don't. We do! And I'm like, Beckham, okay, let's just, let's go outside. Let's talk about something else. You know, and then he's like running around playing with Truett, having fun. And then Truett pushed him off the table and now he's crying. And it's like, okay, well, don't do that again. All right, let's do something else. Throw on top of that this early stage swim lessons, okay? And you just really get to see how different all of our kids are and how different all of our parenting methods are. It is just awesome. You've got the Ruses just holding on to their boy, jumping off the diving board, and he's just getting submerged for three seconds and comes up and he's like just inhaled water and he's like red eyes, doesn't know what to do. And then they just start cheering. He's like, that was awesome. Like, okay, good, Judah, glad. And Truett's just screaming. He's like super smart. He's like, Mom, I'm afraid that I'm going to drown. I'm afraid that if you put my head under the water, I'm not going to come back up. She's like, Truett, you're going to come back up. And he's like, no, but I'm afraid that I won't. And I'm like, why am I even having this conversation with a three-year-old? And Beckham's just like, and just like in the water, kind of. And like, this is good. This is fun. And I'm like, repeat after me. Back up, say this. The pool is so much fun. He goes, the pool is so much fun. <laughs> like, like, you did not learn anything about swimming, but, you know, I think we're playing the long game and it's going to work out. I think it's going to work out for all the kids. But, man, it's, it's incredibly hilarious. And then they're just pooped. We get home yesterday. Beckham doesn't want to go to sleep for his nap, even though it's like, Two hours past his normal nap time. I don't want to sleep. I don't want to take a nap. I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll, you don't have to sleep. If you don't sleep, I'll come get you out. I close the door, and he's like out cold. He's been out for three hours. It's 5.30 p.m. It's like time for dinner. I'm like, he is still sleeping. I'm like, I'm going to go wake him up, but a little nervous about that because he's normally a little irritable if he gets woken up, you know, and so I'm just, I walk in there. He doesn't wake up. Put my hand on him. doesn't wake up. Beckham, Beckham, he's out cold. I'm like, oh my goodness. Eventually he wakes up. He's like super groggy eyed. 
and I'm waiting for like basically the fussy attitude tone noises. I'm just like, how's this gonna go? About 10 seconds of silence, and he goes, ooh, and then he starts jumping on his bed. I'm like, yes, we are good today, Beckham. <laughs> He's like, my bed, my bed. I'm like, you wanna go with, I want mama and dada and baby and Beckham to go on my garbage truck? I'm like, you don't have a garbage truck, and we cannot go on it with you, but okay. Let's go on your garbage. I want to take a pool on my garbage truck. I'm like, that sounds disgusting. So anyways, it was fun. I'm glad to be here. If I communicate for 30 minutes and you have no clue what in the world I just said in my sermon, I blame it on the sleep deprivation from this family vacay. But hopefully you get some good stuff out of this morning. I am just a young dad, okay? So take everything I say this morning with a grain of salt. But I want to talk this morning about the role of a father. And we're actually going to start a three-week series called A Heavenly Father. A Heavenly Father. And my prayer is that through this series, basically, you experience perspective and depth in your relationship with God. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. He's inviting them to relate to God as a father. And in Ephesians 1, it starts off in verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, that means that we are destined to be adopted by God, to move into the household, the family of God. And so our goal in these next three weeks is just to talk about and to discover what does that mean? What is God like in his fathering? What are the implications for us that he is a heavenly father? And before we talk about God's heart as a father or the implications, this morning in particular, I really just want to define for us, like, what is a father? What, like, if God is our heavenly father, what does that mean? What does that look like super practically? It's going to feel a little bit less inspirational, probably, and a little bit more like classroom lecture style, taking some notes or taking pictures of a screen. We're going to have a PDF that you can take with you that will have most of the notes on it, so don't feel too stressed about how many notes can I take. But we just want to dive into it, because when we think about, okay, Father, it's like, okay, does God wake up and then go to work on weekdays, and does he mow your yard on Saturdays and then watch sports on Sundays? Like, is that what God is? It's like, well, probably not. I don't think he's ever shown up physically to any of your houses with a lawnmower ready to do some work. You know, he's probably not doing any projects around the house. If he is at your house, invite us all over, because that would be awesome. And so what, what a father is, what is the role, um, has to be more than just the things we observed or that we know that our dads did. And so I want to talk about it because it must mean more for us as believers to have a father who art in heaven. Does that make sense? Y'all ready to learn this morning about the role of a father? What does it mean that God is our father? Cool. Cool. It's going to be good. Hopefully, probably. Okay, I'm going to pray and we'll get into it. God, thank you that you are our father. Would you just soften our hearts, open our eyes? Would you teach us what does it mean that you are a father, and would you teach us how to relate to you as your kids? 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if I, Larry, if I think there's a water bottle in the row behind you. Could you bring that up to me? If I were to break down the role of a father, thanks, um, I would boil it down to three words in terms of what's, what's the job description? What does a dad do? And I would say they provide for their household safety, intimacy, and leadership. Now, each of those, I would say there are three sub-points. And so let's talk about it. Let's spend some time here camping out on what is a father. What is the role of a father? And so you have safety. And three, three P's of safety here. A father gives protection. So they, they demonstrate strength. They sacrifice. They, they confront threats. They show courage in order to not necessarily insulate their children, but to protect them from anything that actually could really seriously harm them. A father is called to protect. They also provide provision. So that they endure. They work even though it's hard. They are, they are selfless. They would do something in order for their kid to receive something they need before they would even provide for their own needs or wants. They also provide play. Play is a significant piece of safety to know that, oh, dad's having fun. Dad's laughing. He's engaging with me in the things that I'm doing. He's lighthearted. He's childlike. He has peace. He's creating play, not just for play's sake, but because the experience of play provides a sense of safety. Some examples for me, which are pretty simple, but I, I provide meals for Beckham and Hudson. They have food to eat. They are safe. I, I'm thoughtful about what type of media they consume, for example. It might not seem like very threatening, but I know that it is threatening. What, what type of beliefs are they forming? Their play. I'm a pretty playful dad. I like to have an excuse to be immature and to just have a blast trying to be a better two-year-old than my two-year-old. You know, I'm like, we are going to have a ball right now. And he loves it. And they're like, do it again. And they're cracking up. And it's fun. And they know that they're like at the end of a session of playing, it's not uncommon for them to just give me a big hug. Or Hudson's kind of like this weird kiss embrace thing where he just kind of like eats your arm. You know, I'm like, yes, yes, Hudson, I do care about you. I love you. And it's great. Another example or another role is to provide intimacy. And what do I mean by that? I mean attention, acceptance, and affirmation. This is what dads provide for their households. So they're present. They're, they listen. They know their kids really well, better than their kids know themselves for at least the first 18 years of their life, probably. Eventually, at some point, the, the kids will gain enough perspective to know themselves better. But, but a present dad gives attention to their kids. They also accept their kids. They validate their kids. They don't compare their kids to other kids or shame them, but they are emotionally mature, understanding that their kid is a kid, and so let me not fight with my kid. Let me not hold my kid's sins against me, against them, but let me be forgiving. Let me accept them. Let me show them that no matter what they do, we can have a relationship where I am father. And they affirm. They find ways to encourage, to support, to speak identity, to let them know 
that their child is valuable and special and worthwhile. Some things uh, that I do with this in terms of attention is I, I, I just try to do that. We try to limit, you know, how much time are we on our phone or, or just even like going around town and doing stuff. It's like I don't want them to just be entertained by life. I want them to do things with me and to see me see them. Um, and acceptance. You know, I'm not like uh, pressuring them to they have to like this or don't like that, but I, I want them to be the best version of them. And I affirm them. We have a little, uh, like little books where we write down words of what we think are true about them and their character. We share those things with them. Of course, you don't know how much they're actually understanding at almost one and three, but we're, we're doing it now, and they know that we're saying things that are nice. Their tone changes. They look at you kind of like somber, serious, heartfelt, and just like look until you're like, and so I love you, and they're like, okay, cool, I'm going to go play now. You know, but they know, like, something real just happened. You know, that was cool. My dad just said something, you know. And we, fathers also provide leadership. And the best way I could summarize leadership is managing, molding, and modeling. So managing, what does that mean? It means that ultimately the dad is in charge. As long as you're in my house... You're going to follow my rules. You're helping. Hopefully you're not, you know, being a helicopter parent all the way until 18 years old. You know, there is a process through years of empowerment and giving decision-making authority to your kids. But ultimately, the father is held responsible for just logistically how are you coaching and training and directing your children. And how are you molding them? Not just what to do, where to live, what, you know, who are your friends or what are your hobbies, but also the character. How am I going to give feedback and instruction and correction? How am I going to help mold you into the best version of you? How am I going to help shape your character? And also modeling. How am I going to do the things that I'm asking you to do? To not be a hypocrite, to not say, do as I say, but not as I do, but how will I demonstrate so that you can see what I'm asking of you. It's pretty simple. I've been challenged on the, the modeling piece of like ultimately we can have all these desires for what the best nutrition plan is for my kids, but I'm pretty sure they're going to end up eating whatever I eat. And there have been seasons where I've eaten really healthy and Beckham is asking me for kale. And I say, do you want dressing? And he said, nope, just give me the kale. And he'll just grab a chunk of kale and throw it in his mouth. And he's like wincing, like, like he hates it. And then he swallows it. And he's like, more? I'm like, you literally are just wanting to be your dad right now. You do not like that. I know you don't like that. But he sees me eating these big bowls of kale and chicken salad. And he's like, I want kale. I'm like, did you forget that you don't like kale? And he's like, yeah, I want it right now. Like, okay, great. There are also settings where I'm not eating as healthy. And sure enough, he wants cookies and Smarties and Oreos, you know. And I'm like, well, okay. I am not, I'm going to model for you what I'm asking of you um, because I know that that's my role. I'm also going to mold Beckham. The, the, the goal is not to um, just punish for punishes, punishment's sake. The goal is not to just be overbearing. But it's also like, yeah, I hopefully would have some perspective that could help him respond better in some situations, that could help 
teach him how do you interact in this or that setting or prepare him in some way and also managing his life. I'm not giving him full authority to do whatever he wants whenever he wants because that would be crazy and it wouldn't actually be the best for him. And it is awesome when a father serves his children in these ways, there's study after study of how helpful it is developmentally and emotionally and, you know, even in, as adults in their careers and just how secure they feel and how um, competent they are and how uh, loyal they are in their relationships. There's a lot that ties to, you know, what did you know in your home environment um, that your dad set the tone for? But, but no one's dad is perfectly all these things. Maybe characteristically, generally, you would say, yeah, my dad did a great job at all nine of those subpoints. But at the very least, there were moments where he didn't. It might not even be because of his sin, although probably he sinned against you at least once. But it could just be human limitation. Like, let's say Hudson and Beckham are both yelling at me, wanting my attention. Like, I can't look at both of them thoroughly. And they, one of them could very well feel hurt, offended, not valued. And it's like, man, that's tough. What am I supposed to do? I can't be at two. Maybe one day they'll both have a sports game at the same time. Like, well, I'm going to be at one, if that, you know. I'm not going to be at both at the same time. For whatever reason, the Lord did not make me omnipresent, and I can't be everywhere. I can only be at one place. Or even leaving, leaving home to go to work. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing the provision piece, but what if they feel really hurt? Like, why don't you just stay home and play? I'm like, well, I could see how that would hurt your feelings. You know? But, like, I'm, I'm working because I'm trying to obey what God's asked me to do, but you don't really know what he's asked me to do. Much less, like, fathers that actually don't value or don't fill these needs in a general sense where they actually taught you wrongly overall. And why am I talking about these father wounds, these pains that we can feel, these, you know, this idealistic, here's the role of the father, and then here's our realities, where in some ways our fathers fell short, or maybe overall they really did great, but they still weren't perfect. They still weren't everything that I wanted. I still felt disappointed sometimes. I still felt hurt sometimes, frustrated sometimes. A lot of us, by the time we're 16, 17, we're looking forward to getting out of our father's house so that we don't have to be under our father's authority so that we can live the way that we want to live because we've come into tensions, frustrations, disappointments, like not knowing each other well, some type of hurt, and we've responded by insulating ourselves from our fathers and saying, man, if I could just get away and then see you at Christmas, our relationship would be great. It's like, well, yeah, but it's a different relationship. He's still your dad, but he's not the authority. You're not under his household. And what's interesting is if we want to embrace God as our heavenly father, if we want to learn how to relate to him as our heavenly father, we might also need to unlearn some things about our earthly father. In other words, if we grew up wanting to relate to our dad, we learned some ways to relate to him that were, that were based on him, but he's a little bit different than God. And so you learned really great how to make your dad happy 
and your dad wanted you to be super quiet anytime you're in public. It's awesome. You, you were an amazing kid. You learned how to please your dad, but that might not be how God always wants you to behave. And so you've learned a behavior. You've learned a relationship, and you will apply that to any other dad. And you don't have any other dads, except if you went through multiple divorces, then you experience that in terms of stepfathers. And for some of us, the only other dad is, okay, I have a heavenly father. And so great, now that I know what fathers are like, let me make sure to not annoy my heavenly father. Let me make sure to be quiet and submissive and responsive. And we'll end up behaving in a way towards God that is actually limiting because it might not be what God is like. We're just projecting what we learned from what our earthly father is like. Are y'all tracking with so far? Okay, great. So I'm not trying to go into a whole deep inner healing, childhood wounds, big time talk right now. But I'm, I just want to address, in a sense, the elephant in the room that is we've, we've learned some things that were valuable for relating to our earthly father. But if we can't see the differences between our earthly father and God, we will miss some of the depth that God wants us to have with him as our heavenly father, the perfect father. Y'all tracking? Okay. And so I just want to describe super briefly a couple broad ways that our earthly fathers maybe fell short. And I'm going to, again, leave you with a PDF because we're not really going to go here this morning. But three general ways that you could have learned something that you need to unlearn. You could have adopted a behavior that actually is not what our Heavenly Father wants in your relationship with Him. One of those ways is you, you experience evil from your father. Another is that you experienced an absence in your father. And another would be you experienced self-reliance in your father. And so I, I could go through every single line of provision and play and protection and how each of those manifests. I'm not going to do all those, but let's do a couple um, for example, evil safety. Do we have a slide for, like, if you experience an evil version of safety? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. Great. So it wasn't safety. It was actually danger, the opposite of safety. So maybe instead of protection, you were actually put into harmful situations. That would be evil. That would be the opposite of what God intended for the role of a father. Instead of provision, he steals from you. Maybe he made you work, and then he took all of your earnings. Or maybe he actually stole from your wallet. Or stole your stuff and didn't tell you. Or the opposite of play, he just makes your life intentionally miserable, overbearingly burdensome, chores on chores on chores to just break you and work you to the ground to just show how dominant of a person he is. That is evil. That's the opposite of play. It's stealing any feeling of play. And that's just on the safety piece. Or let's say you experience an absent father. Let's talk about absent intimacy. So what you want from a dad is attention, acceptance, and affirmation. But if your father was absent in some ways, maybe you felt ignored or you were told to go away. That is not attention. Oh, that's, oh, sorry, that's evil. That's evil intimacy would be the opposite of intimacy. Absent intimacy is your dad's too busy. It's not like he, told, he didn't like you, but he just was, wasn't particularly interested enough. He didn't do the things with you that you wanted him to do. 
or maybe absent acceptance. Like you just, you didn't fully belong. He was maybe embarrassed by you. You weren't necessarily shamed, but it's just like you weren't enough. You just weren't accepted. The acceptance wasn't there. Or absent affirmation. So instead of being just celebrated, it's always, here's something that could have been better. It's always, let me try to teach you a lesson. And sometimes you didn't want a lesson. Or maybe it's, you got celebrated, but it's only because of something that he wanted you to do. It's not because he just likes you. That would be absent affirmation. I need, I want affirmation. God set up the role of a father to give affirmation, but the affirmation I'm looking for is not to be found. It's not enough in some way. Or the example of self-reliance. Let's look at self-reliant leadership. So a self-reliant father is probably, in his mind, a very good dad trying to do everything he can to be an amazing dad. But it doesn't come across as exactly what God wants from dads. Self-reliant managing is like, okay, he's, he's kind of acting like a dictator. He always has to be right. Always trying to teach you a lesson, kind of like the, the earlier example. Or molding, he's relying on his ability to mold you. He is self-reliant. And so what will he do? He will make punishments harsher. He will spank harder. He will talk louder or angrier, trying to get you to be more obedient, trying to get you to do what he wants you to do. Or self-reliant modeling. A self-reliant modeling dad would put a ton of pressure on himself to be and do perfectly everything that he could possibly ever ask of you. And what does that do? It makes him stressed. He's irritable. But also, he cannot receive feedback. He can't receive constructive criticism because he's trying to convince you that he's perfect so that you can do what he does. So he's hiding his own flaws. He doesn't admit mistakes. He doesn't repent and ask for forgiveness. And he's doing it because he's trying to help his kid, but it's actually wounding you because it's not what God intended. These are just a couple examples. I have a PDF with all the other examples of all the different types of dads, and we're not trying to label our dads in a camp of like, oh, my dad was a self-reliant dad. It's like, no, that's, that's judgment, and really only the Lord knows the hearts of all of our earthly dads. But the point is, have you at least any time ever felt in one instance like, oh, that puts some words to something that I experienced? And if so, then you're on to something because that will help teach you how, what to do now. Like, oh, I came home one day super excited to tell my dad about something that I did, and then he didn't care. If you're a normal child, a normal human, you probably adjusted to relating to your dad by not being as excited to share about the things that you are excited about because you're coping to defend yourself to hide from pain of rejection, and so you don't share. And your relationship with your dad was great for the next several years. It was awesome. And then you left his house, and it was great. The problem is if you do that with God, because God wants to know. And if you just live your life, I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. But I'm not going to tell him about that hobby. That I'm not going to tell him about that. I was really excited about this shot that I made in Cornhole that won the game for me. I'm not going to talk about these things that... I'm really proud of. I'm not going to talk about this person that I like. I'm not going to talk about this random moment from work where I feel accomplished because I learned this thing. Like, no, he doesn't want to know that stuff. Actually, yes, he does. Our Heavenly Father does. But we've, we've 
tricked ourselves into thinking that he doesn't because we learned how to relate to our earthly dads. But get this, guys. Like, God set up the world. He set up every human heart to be disappointed in their dad, to be let down, to be in some way, like, unsatisfied by the ability of their dad to fulfill the role of a dad. Just like any other thing, like all the rich in the world can't satisfy you, but then God describes heaven as this really abundantly opulent place. You know, all the success in the world, it can't satisfy you, but then God says, well done, good and faithful servant. It's like all these things, if we try to fulfill it in the world, feel empty, but actually in an eternal sense, God is the fulfillment of, and this desire for a dad is the, the epitome of it. It's not the exception to it. God as our Heavenly Father is not like a replacement for those people with bad dads. And it's okay. God is your Father. No, this is the priority for all people. This is Jesus' mission, is to reveal the Father to us, to all, so that people can be adopted and know their Heavenly Father. Check out Romans 8, 14 through 16. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God, anyone who's a believer that's been filled with the Holy Spirit, they are sons of God. They are children of God. It says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit, but you, but you, oh, it says relieved, but you received the spirit of sonship, or other translations say the spirit of adoption, and by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, if you've received the Holy Spirit, if you have decided that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, then there is something in you that's looking up to heaven, crying out, Daddy, Dad, Dad. There's something in you that wants a perfect dad and that knows you have you have, you've been let down in some ways. But check out who your heavenly father is. He's the heavenly safety. He's, I don't even have time to read all of these scriptures. And so again, we're just going to leave you with a PDF so that you can chew on these things together. But when it comes to protection, it's like the, the name, Proverbs 18 says, says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. Luke 10, 19, he says, nothing will harm you. And provision, he says several times that we have all that we need in him. Even heavenly play, 1 Timothy 4, 4, says, everything God created is good and to be received with joy and thanksgiving. In Matthew 18, 1 through 3, Jesus says to come to him as a child. He says, if you reject a child, you reject me. I'm like, what? That's not stern, serious God. That is a God that values vulnerable, safe, childlikeness. Heavenly intimacy. He, he sees us. He knows us. He accepts us. Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Heavenly affirmation. He made you himself 
He formed you in your mother's womb, and after he created man and woman, he said that they are good. He accepts you. He affirms you. Heavenly leadership. Check this out. I'm just going to read this real quick. Heavenly, uh, as I get to the verse for heavenly leadership, uh, heavenly molding, Hebrews 12, talks about how he disciplines those that he loves, that he takes time to shape us. And heavenly modeling, Hebrews 4.15, says that God was tempted in, in the life of Jesus. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Like part of him sending Jesus to earth is so that he could model for us what the Father is like. And he's perfect. He never falls short. He's everything that he says that he is and everything that he would ever call us to be and to do. I'm going to read Psalm 121 in terms of his heavenly managing. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He helps us. He's not divide and conquer, figure it out, I'll see you in heaven. But he's with us. It keeps going. It says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. He is so with us. But this isn't just like verses in a Bible. Like, think about a father. Think about a dad. And he's like, your dad. Like, most of you have left your parents' households, and so you're like, great, now I'm my own household. But in following Jesus, what you have said is, I want to enter into a household where someone else is in charge. Like, I actually want to go back into the household. I just want a perfect father. And so it's not you follow Jesus on your terms, it's, Lord, would you reparent me? Lord, Dad, Daddy, Abba, Father, come, protect me, provide for me, play with me, give me your attention, accept me, affirm me. Lord, would you lead me? Would you manage my decision-making? Would you mold me? Would you shape me into whatever you want me to be? I trust you to correct me. I trust you to show me, to shape me? Would you model for me? I don't just want you to tell me how. Could you go before me and do it so that I can watch you? This is who our Heavenly Father is, and this is His role in our life. Not just to make us feel better about our earthly dads. He is your dad. He's your dad. And so the solution to our, our woundings, our disappointments, our discouragements, the things that we've learned incorrectly in our relationship with our earthly parents is to, one, acknowledge those hurts. Don't just suppress them. But then to find fulfillment in who God is as Father. To not hold our parents to the sword and say, why didn't you provide for me better? It's like, well, there's really, they probably don't even know the answer to that question. But two, if you were perfectly provided for now, would you feel so bitterly upset about a time when you weren't? And if God set it up so that you would be disappointed by your earthly father, 
and the reason was so that you could find him, then let's not just find him and then be parented one day. It's like, let's let him begin to heal those wounds and to shape us into all this today. Y'all tracking with me? Thanks. I told y'all, a little bit of classroom lecture style, okay? A little bit less inspirational, but hopefully you're seeing what it means that God is our Heavenly Father. What does a father do? And as we close, band, you guys can come on up. I really just want us, um, as the band comes on up, let's go ahead and put that QR code up real quick. Do we have that somewhere? This is a PDF that just has all the examples of the roles of a father, all the things of here's what evil fathering is, here's what self-reliant fathering is, here's what absent fathering is, and then here's who our Heavenly Father is and all those scriptures. We'll also send this out in our weekly e-news. And so it is not like the Bible authoritative. This is just Jeremy putting words on a, pap- on a page to help, help us process our own earthly dads so that we can know our Heavenly Father purely, truly for who he really is, not just through the lens of what we learned growing up. And as, as we respond, I just want us to ask God to search us. Ask, like, like I just said a second ago, Lord, would you, pl- would you show me play? Lord, would you provide for me? Would, would, would we look to him to fulfill these different things that our heart needs and that they look for in our Father? And let's look for those things in our Heavenly Father. Feel free to stand up. We're going to go into a time of worship. And we're just crying out, Lord, just like we sang earlier, I want to make room for you. Would you help me let go of, in a sense, whatever I feel like I'm still holding on to from my earthly dad? Or maybe you don't feel any bitterness about it, but maybe just very practically you need help to know what God is like. And would I make room for you, Lord? Would I let go of things that aren't you to make room for you? And would you do whatever you want to? And the last thing I want to share before I just pray and we can just respond before the Lord is that like a father can only be a father to his kids. And so... if God, God is only a perfect father to us, if we're his kids. Don't mishear what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I also want us to think about how we can relate to him, not just how he relates to us. God could be a perfect provider, but if I never go home and I live on the streets, I might miss out on some of his provision. God could be a perfect molder, but if I never ask him to mold me, I might miss some of what he might have said. So if he's a perfect molder, then I need to say, God, search me and know me. Would you see if there's any grievous way in me? God, help me with this situation. I feel frustrated about this. Would you help me? Down the line, provision. You could do great at working super hard, but if you're just doing it out of your own strength, you might be missing that God actually wants to provide for you. Or whatever it may be, play. I need help in this area, specifically. I didn't grow up with a ton of play in my house. And so sometimes God needs to help me, like, hey, why don't you do something you like to do? 
And I feel internally like, but that would be so unproductive. And he's, he's still teaching me his values that are in some ways slightly different from what maybe my parents expressed. And I'm not just so mad. I'm saying, Lord, yes, teach me. This isn't about spiting where I came from. This is about knowing God as my heavenly father. And so that means that we're his kids. That means he's in charge. There's some fear there. There's some vulnerability there. It means he's the boss. You're moving back in. You're moving back into your dad's house. <laughs> and you're giving up some of the keys of the autonomy and the freedom and the insulation that adulthood bought you. And you're saying, Lord, I will give that up and make room for your fathering in my life. I will move in on your, in your house, on your terms, and I will live how you call me to live if it will meet these needs in my heart. And what I'm telling you all this morning is that it will. So I'm going to pray, and let's worship God. God, I thank you um, that, that you knew what you were doing when you made us, when you shaped us, that you set us in families, that you know everything about all of our upbringings. You know the ways that we were dealt a bad hand in some ways. You know the things that we understand really intuitively because it was modeled for us. And Lord, we're not here to rehash old wounds. We're just here to say, Lord, would you parent us? Would you father us? Would you be the dad that we need, that each and every one of us needs? Would you fill our desire, our craving, our, our longing that you put in us for a perfect father? And would we look for it in you? So would you teach us how to relate to you as your kids? And God, we just make room for you in this time. In Jesus' name.